The teaching for this evening is based on Jonah 4, 1 through 11. This is God's word. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord... Please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? This is the word of the Lord. So we come to the end of the book of Jonah tonight, and we're going to look at this whole chapter, chapter 4, and if I had to uh, summarize for you the plot of this uh, prophet, this minor, it's called a minor prophet, it's short, it's only four chapters, the plot essentially goes like this, that God wants to use Jonah to show compassion to others, even to Jonah's worst enemies. He wants to use Jonah to to bless other people, and in particular, and even his worst enemies. It's a dramatic story, as we've seen so far. It has some of the lowest of the lows and some of the highest of the highs, where Jonah finds himself in the depths of the sea, and then you find Jonah restored, delivered, singing God's praises. It covers the full range of human experience, as it were. And if I had to summarize uh, the whole book for us, uh, this is what I essentially think this whole book is about. It's a book about learning to love as God loves. It's a book about learning to love as God loves. And while God has been working in Jonah's life, teaching him throughout the whole book, The last chapter highlights three things that I want us to see if we're going to learn how to love as God loves. We need to to admit our contradictions, our inconsistencies. We need to receive God's counsel. And we need to look for God's character in Jesus alone. So let's first start by... We need to, if we're going to learn to love as God loves, we need to admit our own contradictions. One of the things that 
Uh, you'll notice as you, if you read over or read through this book several times, and maybe even read a brief, I don't know, introduction to the story, there are di- definitely different views about Jonah, especially in light of chapter 2. Remember, in chapter 1, Jonah, God addresses and calls Jonah to go to Nineveh, and Jonah effect- effectively says no. He runs the other way. And Jonah 2, he is cast over into the, into the sea, and it's a prayer of thanksgiving. And at no point, though, does Jonah actually admit wrongdoing on the surface of it. He nowhere actually repents. He gives thanks to God. Uh, he's really glad God rescued him. And a lot of times you look at the story and say, well, where is Jonah spiritually? Does he really understand uh, what he's done? Does he know that he has run from God and has actually disobeyed him? Or is now the fact that God delivered him, has he forgotten that? Jonah is an enigma in this story, in this book. And if you, if you want to go even further, all we need to do is compare uh, the end of chapter 2. The end of chapter 2, Jonah, it's the end of his prayer from the belly of the great fish. And he essentially recommits himself to God. And then he says, salvation belongs to the Lord. And then you fast forward to chapter 4, we are tonight. And the very first thing, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. Okay, Jonah has recently just said salvation belongs to the Lord. And right before chapter 4, verse 1, God relents against Nineveh after Jonah preaches to Nineveh. And Nineveh repents, and they turn away from their sin, and God has mercy on them. Jonah is now angry, incredibly angry. Jonah is an enigma. Where is what's going on in his life? And in many ways, Jonah is a, is a good picture of what, what it is like to, what the Christian life is like. We are all enigmas. We're all full of inconsistencies and contradictions. Perhaps one of the best places, if that's hard for you to, to um, visualize or uh, uh, have an idea of how you could see that in your own life, just ask yourself about your public life versus your private life. Where do you see inconsistencies? Where do you see contradictions? And in fact, I would tell you, the further you go in the life of faith, the more you're going to see that. And the reason is because when you become more and more uh, exposed to and known by God and His grace increasingly what you begin to see is the incongruity between your own heart and God and his love and his mercy. And that's what's happening to Jonah in this passage. And you might wonder, well, why is Jonah seem to be so uh, narrow-minded here? He's always and is very ready to receive God's mercy and kindness when it has to do with him. But the moment God wants to extend that mercy and kindness and grace to people he doesn't like, he's outraged. He's, he wants a narrow-hearted God, 
a God whose prejudices uh, would, would uh, align with his own. And why is that happening? What do we know about Jonah that would make this uh, make sense for him? Well, if you think about it for a moment, remember, uh, see if you remember a few weeks ago, I mentioned in 2 Kings 14, that's the first time that we read about Jonah. And Jonah was a prophet to Israel. And he was prophesying that God was going to restore the borders of the land. And that happened. So here you have a prophet who told God's people what would happen, and it happened. Can you imagine his reputation? It was really good news. He would have been a very well-respected, well-known, famous prophet. But now God has sent him to Nineveh to the enemies of God's people, and he's had every bit as much success in Nineveh as he did back in Israel. Now think about this for a moment. Think about your own reputation for a moment. Jonah is going to have to return home. And how would people receive him? How could he face people back home with the news that through his preaching, God has shown mercy to their enemies? You see, why is Jonah angry? There there are perhaps a number of reasons. But one of the biggest reasons Jonah is angry is that he is going to have to lose his reputation. He is going to have to come to grips with, is he willing to lose his reputation for God's mission in the world or not. Now, what's happening here? Why is that um, something that Jonah is having to wrestle with? I think we have to look even below the anger that you see here on the, on the surface of the story. There is a conflict here between God and Jonah. Like I said, Jonah is, is very much willing and and delighted in God's mercy when it has to do with him, but not when it has to do with his enemies. Another way to put this is that Jonah has put himself as at the middle of God's mission. One writer puts it like this. He says, to begin with, the Christian life is not about us. It is about God. We are in on it, to be sure, but we are not the subject, nor are we the action. We get included by means of a few prepositions. God with us. Christ in me. God for us. With, in, and for. Powerful connecting relation forming words. But none of them make us the beginning or the end of what God is up to. You see, in this book, Jonah is really holding up a mirror for us. What is it about God that you most love? What is it that makes you uh, want to sing to him, want to know him, want to understand him? For Jonah, it's because he effectively sees God's mission is about him. And God is saying, no, it's not about you. It's about me and my love for the nations, even the people that you most despise. And this whole idea of Jonah 
putting himself in the center of God's plan of his work really comes through when you look here in verses 2 to 3. After we read in the, in the opening verse that he's angry, he then turns and prays, which, by the way, is a great thing to do when you're angry with God, is to turn to God and pray. But notice even here, when he prays eight times in those two verses, he says, I, my, or me. Jonah is still the center of that prayer, even in the midst of what he's, how he describes God here as gracious and merciful, slow to anger. He's actually referring to a series of passages throughout the Old Testament that are quoted often to describe God's identity, who he really is. Jonah is full of inconsistency. He's full of contradictions. And if we're going to learn to love as God loves, we need to begin to ask ourselves, where are those? Or ask God to reveal to us, to show us, where, are my heart, where is my heart, where are my longings and my desires at odds with God's and his purposes, even his good ones for me? In Jonah's anger, if anything, it indicates this, this is deep incongruity in his own heart that needs God's counsel. Which brings us to our second point, that not only do we need to admit our contradictions, we need to receive God's counsel in order to see them. Now, even though Jonah, he's outraged, God still pursues him. After Jonah says, I knew this is why I did not want to go to Nineveh. I knew that you would be merciful and gracious. And that's why I didn't want to go. Even to the point where he says in verse 3, it's better for me to die than to live. And God responds in verse 4, do you do well to be angry? Or another way to, to, to translate that would be, what right do you have to be angry? And no response is given. All we see is in verse 5, Jonah leaves the city, and goes on a hill and watches it's almost like Jonah here is having a little bit of a, a pity party. It's, he showed up and said, 40 days and Nineveh will be ruined. That's not what he, that's what he may have wanted to have happen and that it's not all what has happened. And he's really upset about it. And God asks him this question, do you have any right to be angry? And he lets him sit with it. He lets him sit outside the city with this question. And it's a question that's intended to get us to, to look inward. It's a self-critiquing question. It's a question that's meant to get us to think and ask, who do we really think we are? What right do we have to tell God what he can and cannot do? Who he can and cannot have mercy on? Jonah here is really... Acting in the role of a judge, and God is exposing it. He just lets him sit with it. But as he sits outside the city, after this initial question, God pursues him through various circumstances. Notice in verse 6 through 9, the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. 
So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Now, several times we've seen in this book already, God pursuing Jonah. He sent that great storm in chapter 1. Then he sent the great fish, the end of chapter 1. And here we see him appointing this plant. And then we also see God sending a worm in verse 7 to destroy the plant and then sending a scorching wind. And Jonah is worn out and fatigued and faint. God is working through his circumstances to teach him. So when we talk about God's counsel here, how God serves as a counselor to Jonah, he asks him questions, direct questions, to get him to stop and to think. But he also pursues Jonah through the circumstances he finds himself in. And why does God do that? Well, let's think for a moment. Jonah is really upset already about God's mercy to Nineveh. How can, Jonah, how can God help Jonah understand what's happening? Well, he appoints this plant almost as a, an object lesson. And he's in this very arid, hot place, and the plant grows, and it provides shade, and Jonah loves this plant. He delights in this plant. And then God takes it away in a, in a night. And then when you see here in verse 8 and 9, again, he says, it's better for me to die than to live. And God says to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? He asks the same question again. What right do you have to be angry about the plant? Now, what is God doing? You see, the purpose of this counsel, this instruction, this teaching that God is giving Jonah is really to draw out of him what he most cares about, his contradictions, his inconsistencies. You see, Jonah here insists in the strongest possible terms that this plant was important to him. He says, yes, I do well to be angry, even enough to die. Now, what is God doing He's trying to teach him a lesson by way of this plant to show him God's love for Nineveh. In other words, if Jonah so cares about this plant that he didn't cause to grow, he didn't take care of it, he didn't tend it, nothing, if he cares that much about that plant, why is it any surprise that God cares about this great city of 120,000 people, which is an enormous city back in that day and time. You see, if Jonah is outraged at the, 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 the death of this plant, why is he not outraged at the possibility of the demise of Nineveh? And God wants to get him to see that, to have to taste that, to have to feel it for himself. However, the way that this book ends, it ends with this question that God gives Jonah in verse 10 and 11, when he says, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city? 
in which there are more than 120,000 persons who don't know their right hand from their left. See, the book ends with a question, and it remains unanswered. And because of that, we're invited to actually try to answer it as the reader. And it's a question, actually, that points us back to the character of God that Jonah even speaks of back in verses 2 and 3. That he's gracious, he's merciful, he's slow to anger, he's abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And so what we need to do, we need to look not, well, not only do we need to see our, our contradictions and our inconsistencies and to receive God's counsel, but we also need to look to God's character in Jesus. Because see, Jonah's struggle is our struggle. He cannot see the forest for the trees here. Jonah was fine to serve God as long as it didn't mean he had to die to his plans, to his comfort, to his reputation. As long as that was intact, Jonah was fine. That's where we find ourselves at the end of chapter 2. But then here, notice Jonah's ready, very ready to die over, over something that was of great importance to him, this plant. But he was not willing to die to himself and give his life for what God cared about. And in this case, this great city, these people. And it's not even that Jonah just needed a little help here, a little incentive. It's that he was incapable in his own strength to love as God loves. And that's true of us too. Which is why if we stopped right there, where the story kind of ends with Jonah, angry, wanting to die, it's a pretty hopeless story. But we need a better Jonah. Which is why we, had, we looked at Matthew 12 last week, which I'm really glad that when Bill Boyd was here, he actually preached that passage, that tells us that there is one greater that has come than Jonah. The Lord Jesus, who in total contrast to Jonah, delights to do the Father's will, even at the cost of his own life. Jonah's ready to do God's will when it serves his purposes. But Jesus is the exact opposite. Jesus delights to do God's will when it is of absolutely no advantage to him. And in fact, leads only to his suffering and death. You see, Jesus, he didn't come to be served, but to serve. He didn't come to take, but to give. Jonah's concern is for his status, for his comfort. But Jesus gave up his status. Though he was God, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Jesus gave up his comfort. In the gospel, as he... He tells us how foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus gave his very life. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, Jesus is the exact opposite of Jonah and you and me. How how do you read a book like Jonah? Where it's very clear that God has a heart for the nations 
for people who don't know him, don't deserve to be forgiven, don't deserve to have a relationship with him, which is really everyone, and face the reality of your own heart. How hard it is, how difficult it is, how scary it can be to to love as God loves. The only way that we can begin to grow to love as God loves is when we first see his love for us. When we begin to see the character of God in Jesus. You see, Jonah was so angry that he wanted to die. Jesus was so loving he was willing to die. So to behold Jesus by faith, that is to see the Father. Jesus says that again and again. Whenever his disciples are asking, where are you going to go? How will we know where you're going to be? Show us who the Father is. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So perhaps you're, you're, sometimes you feel like, God doesn't seem very gracious to me. He doesn't seem very merciful to me. He doesn't seem very slow to anger to me. What should you do? What you should do is you need to look to Jesus. You need to see in Jesus God's mercy and his grace, his slowness and his patience with you. Because God did not spare his own son That means whatever you and I face as we learn to love as he loves, whatever you face, he will give you what you need. He did not spare his own son. Therefore, he will not withhold anything from you that you need. That means you can let go of your reputation. That means you can let go of your comfort. That means you can let go of your status because you've been welcomed by this God. Now, one thing I want you to notice as we close tonight, as hard a time as Jonah has in this passage, as angry as he gets, as uh, rebellious as he is, do you notice that God works through him? An entire city is converted. I hope that that encourages you. I hope that encourages us as a church that God is going to use you. He will use me. He will use this church with all of your contradictions, with all of your inconsistencies, with all of our self-absorption, with all of our concern for our comfort and our status and our reputation. It is in precisely through all of that that God still uses this Jonah to, to preach the good news to this city. That's really good news. But what it also means is you simply cannot learn to love as God loves and it not undo you, it not expose you, it not confront and challenge you. And remember, a few weeks ago, one of the points we were making was that God disciplines those that he loves. And remember what I said a little bit earlier, that 
what we are here to do, this church, it's really not about us. It is about God. And we are called into and invited in to participate in that. Remember, God is with us. Christ is in us. God is for us. That's the good news, that despite what we're like, however weak and failing we may be, we can have confidence, just like you see in this story with Jonah, that God will use us to bring blessing to others. And therefore, what that means is we don't have to fear what we realize about ourselves, the contradictions that we see, or even the counsel and even the discipline that God gives because we can be sure he is a gracious God, a merciful God, a God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love because of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we ask that as we finish looking at this story of Jonah and the things he has wrestled with, the ways that you have worked in his life, the things that you have taught him, they really are a mirror for us to to see ourselves and also to learn from you and to learn about you and to learn how you can actually involve us in your great plan to bring blessing to the nations and at the very same time change us in the process. So Father, we ask that you would work in us and that you would work through us for your glory, for our good, and for the good of this place. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.